HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Samantha Garner, and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a Cheeselandian because I take cheese seriously, just like they do in Wisconsin. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. So on this episode of Soul by Todd Richards, I have the the distinct pleasure of welcoming a fellow Chicagoan who (laughs) is now back in the South and an interesting part of the South, uh, New Orleans, that I don't believe that most people really understand truly what New Orleans is about and its uh, contribution uh, to the American foodways and probably more so even the uh, international foodways. I have Zella Palmer here with us on this episode and Zella is at Dillard University and she is the chair and director of the Ray Charles program in African-American material culture, which is a, a huge title. I don't even know how, how, I mean, like if I was a chef, I couldn't even put that across my jacket, that how big and uh, broad <laughs> that, you know, that, 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 that title is. But <laughs> when I get down to, you know, the essence of it, of the soul of it, I really means that Zella is really telling the story of black culture uh, from a both uh, uh, local, national, international perspective. And I am very proud to have her on Soul by Todd Richards. Zella, thank you so much for taking your time out of a busy schedule to come on the show with us. Thank you so much for having me, Todd. It's so I'm so excited to be uh, you know, talking with you this afternoon and it's it's um, always a pleasure to talk to you. And because, you know, this is a podcast and people will listen to it and um in perpetuity, I want to give people an understanding that right now, uh, just passed in our conversation, that you had a hurricane, Hurricane Laura, just passed through that area. Did not really touch uh, New Orleans per se, but touch a city uh, really near to it. Is that Lake Charles or, yes. or, and and just tell us, you know, the the devastation that is happening. Uh, to that area, just to give people an understanding of what is going on in this time period in this conversation. 
Well, uh, Lake Charles, you know, we were, uh, you know, it's just, it's, we're already, you know, dealing with COVID and, you know, just everything that COVID has brought. I mean, we're in a, what, our seventh month now. And, you know, we got word a couple of weeks ago that we were going to have two hurricanes coming our way. So it's always, you know, um, anxiety every year. And then we're also dealing with the 15th uh, year anniversary of Katrina. So that's it's a lot of triggers for a lot of people who survived Hurricane Katrina. And, you know, we weren't sure. First it was Marco, you know, that was heading our way. Then it turned into just a storm. And then Laura was right behind it. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, it really devastated Lake Charles. Um, you know, I took my students there couple of years. No, it's been about, yeah, 2019, I think it was, that we went to the, uh, the so trail So basically just, just one year ago, yeah. Yeah, one year ago, we took our students to uh, the Semian Trail Rides, which is a deep, um, you know, culture, uh, Black cowboy, Creole cowboy culture that is part of uh, Southwest Louisiana and Texas. And uh, we took our students there to document the um the trail ride and the history of it and we wrote an article for uh 64 parishes magazine part of the uh louisiana endowment i'm sorry louisiana uh endowment for the humanities and um you know they the bridge that we crossed over is now you know it's is is in disarray uh downtown lake charles you know a lot of people lost their homes you know and a lot of um you know, Lake Charles residents are now in New Orleans uh, homeless or, you know, just trying to figure out how they're going to rebuild, you know, Lake Charles and get insurance claims, you know, because some people were wiped out. So, you know, we're just trying to pay back, you know, what was, you know, the hospitality that they gave us when uh, we had to go to. Is Lake Charles a predominantly uh, African American uh, a neighborhood, or is it a mix? I mean, what is the, what it's is, a mix? Who, who are the it's people? a mix. It's okay. a mix. Uh, yes, it's a mix. So, uh, you know, all of Louisiana, it's it's you know African American, it's uh, you know Cajun, white, uh, you know Indigenous, Latino, you know Asian. So it's a mix. And in that mix. Um, you know, what what I really find uh, fascinating uh, through media is that I do not believe media give people uh, the places where people come from a great uh, call signal to give a better understanding that who these people are and, and where they come from is what makes the area not only popular, uh, mm -hmm. it, it is the workforce of the area, and it's also the delicious food that comes from that area. Mm. And that area, you know, being a mix, uh, you know, New Orleans being a mix, and you all are now paying it back uh, to what they offered, you know, did wh where does that come from inherently? I, I feel that it inherently comes from the way we grow and share food, but... You as a person who lives there, where do you think that that sharing or that paying it back and paying it forward comes from? Well, it definitely comes from, you know, the it, com it comes from Southern hospitality, but rooted in that history is, you know, the traditions of African and Native people. 
you know, who have always served in abundance, um, always been hospitable to their neighbors and, you know, Cajun culture, um, you know, and just the old culture, uh, pre-Louisiana Purchase, you know, uh, and, you know, just a sense of community, a sense of helping each other out, you know, um, and it's, it's always been that way. And Lake Charles, uh, and that just the Southwest Louisiana region, you know, this is, it's, it's going to be, you know, I'm a hope, I know that they're going to come back, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens. The same thing, what, you know, happened to Katrina at, you know, how the community is going to change post uh, Laura. Now we're talking about post Laura. So, um, and this, you know, this culture, I mean, we went out there with our students and, you know, people live off the land. They grow their own food. They grow their own hogs. You know, they raise horses, they train horses and, you know, they ride these horses in the trail rides, uh, specifically speaking about the African-American or Creole of color community. Let me ask a, a, a question here about New Orleans. And uh, you speak about Katrina and a person who lives in Atlanta and saw Katrina, uh, not only from a visual standpoint on, on media, but also seeing the influx of people coming out of New Orleans to Atlanta, uh, just trying to find a place to live, a place to, to have refuge, um, a place to, to survive. Has, has no black new orleans recovered uh from katrina and then how is black new orleans going to re uh or black lake charles going to recover from this devastating hurricane well you know um the numbers it's almost 150,000 you know people that migrated uh specifically african americans who uh left and didn't come back to new orleans uh so with that you know, there's a, a author, uh, his, uh, Ned Sutlet, he talks about, you know, it's, it's an, like an encyclopedia being uh, ripped up and torn in front of a, you know, a fan. We just lost so much culture and so much, you know, history and people and communities in, in with her, Hurricane Katrina. So, you know, will, has it recovered? It depends on who who is talking about native New Orleanian? Mm. Probably, definitely not, you know, because we've lost a lot of culture. We've lost homes. We've lost, you know, generational wealth, um, you know, but yet we're still moving ahead, you know? So how do we uh, recover, you know, and post Katrina and post Laura, we continue to build our communities and maintain culture. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. You know, if we can still have street culture, if we can still have trail rides, if we could still have uh, black ownership, black wealth and, you know, restaurant ownership and hopefully be able to pass down, uh, you know, legacy to the next generation, then the uh, culture of Southwest and Southeast Louisiana will survive. But, um, you know, there's, there's always, there's a, I saw an article not recently uh, and a native New Orleanian was calling the black, you know, New Orleanians to come home uh, because, mm. you know, and a lot of them moved to other places. They found, you know, they were better off in some places and others long to come home. But now with, mm -hmm. you know, gentrification, 
um, you know, environmental justice issues, racism, et cetera, it's hard to come home, you know, and, and a weakening economy for, um, you know, African-Americans who live in this region, finding jobs, you know, is more lucrative in places like Dallas, Atlanta, or, um, you know, even some of them move to Utah. So, you know, <laughs> I've heard, I've heard that, that, that people are, are, are moving as far as Utah and, and that's not, you know, LA, but it's still West, it's still West of New Orleans, definitely West of New Orleans, I mean, Atlanta and Chicago, uh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, for sure. But let, let, let's get even deeper in that because you mentioned like gentrification and it, you know, was the gentrification that's happening in New Orleans a result of opportunity? Uh, because it seems like after Katrina, there was a lot of people, uh, you saw the film industry go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and I don't want to discount the film industry's effort because they were really trying to uh, find a a way to to right the wrong you, you know lois eli of course you know who's mm-hmm. who know you know from there and and, and don't get you know uh, started on the musicians from there but there's always seemed like there was never an infrastructure not only in new orleans but across the country to protect ourselves from gentrification when uh, a crisis happened and it seems like what you're talking about is that we need to put stop gates in a way to prevent those things and native New Orleans want these people to come home to assist in that process. Sure. And, you know, here's the challenge, you know, we're talking about people, you know, uh, people who have lived in the same home for over a hundred years. So, you know, and a generation Mm -hmm. after generation have lived in that same home. So how are you going to prove that you own that house? You know, if, if it was written in uh, French code, you know, a hundred and something years ago, and then, you know, maybe, you know, and and you might've lost the uh, paperwork and the storm, you know? So, and then different neighborhoods uh, were affected, specifically the Ninth Ward, you know, was devastated by Hurricane Katrina, you know. And so and now you're seeing, you know, that people are buying up lots and, you know, the neighborhoods that once were predominantly African-American are no longer African-American and homes are, you know, as expensive as you know, a home in uh, Los Angeles, you know, mm-hmm. and then but yet, you know, the minimum wage is still, you know, under $10. <laughs> so, you know, how are you how are, how are native New Orleanians going to compete with that, you know, and, and, you know, the economy hasn't and job training and all of those uh, resources have have yet to be provided for uh, this region for native people. But, but I look at it uh, from a standpoint, though, that, that the world believes that the food uh, ways of New Orleans, the, the delicious food that comes out of there, is uh, makes uh, African-American folklore look like that we own every restaurant in that city uh, outside of, you know, uh, outside of the Brennan's or... Uh, or, you know, the Pesh restaurant or the Emeralds and that we're doing well. And it seems that, you know, some of the conversations that you and I have always had about the economic wealth can only be generated through delicious food. But the value of the food that you serving that's delicious is always removed. 
How can we ensure that the value of food that is produced in these restaurants equates to economic wealth in an environment where people are fleeing that area because of lack of opportunity? Well, you know, the interesting part is after Katrina, uh, we saw a surge in uh, black restaurant ownership. And part of that is comes from, um, you know, out of no opportunity comes opportunity for self. Right. And so, you know, there's, you know, Morrow's restaurant, uh, you know, the continuation of Dookie Chase restaurant, the Munch factory. I mean, these young African-American restaurateurs all of a sudden, you know, are finding ways to open up restaurants. I mean, I think of uh, Weed at, you know, Chicken and uh, Greg Tillery's story. I remember when he was had a food truck on Tulane Avenue near, um, you know, on Tulane Avenue was selling uh, wings out of the truck, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. he turned that into an empire. And but, you know, but the challenge is during COVID, you know, if they don't have access to PPE loans or PPE funds, you know, or um, resources to stay afloat, you know, and keep the kitchen open, then we're in peril, you know. Uh, and we're, you know, so many black restaurateurs in the city who are trying to hold on, even though they were not um, given, you know, the the PPE loans that other major restaurant American restaurants were given. You know, we're, mm-hmm. it goes back to that saying last um you know, last hired, first fired. You know? <laughs> right. Oh my goodness. Oh, that that's the, that's probably the worst term. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's it's a it's. It, but then you know what what happens is community comes together, and we find a way. You know, and so I'm looking at um you know people growing their own food, trying to make it. You know, make sure that if they have some uh, lanyette money, you know that they uh, frequent their favorite restaurant like the Munch Factory, Morrow's, Heard That Kitchen. You know. Um, and the list goes on. There's so many uh, amazing black black owned restaurants that we have in the city, and you know other restaurants were able to also be part of the Feed America program and provide uh, you know food for those who in need. You know, and they're delivering food to uh, the elderly and you know, children who are at home online to make sure that everyone has a meal in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, I want to ask this question uh, because we're both from Chicago, mm-hmm. and uh, regardless of uh, where we live, I, I know that when you and I get together, uh, or, or you know, if house house music comes on, uh, <laughs> you know, instinctively in, in our our soul goes back there. Yes. And um, and when we look at the food of Chicago. Uh, and we compare it to Atlanta. Atlanta is an amalgamation of very different cuisine. I mean, you know, Atlanta is such a melting pot. But I look at New Orleans distinctly, where my dad's family came out of Louisiana. Mm. And so I understand that food a great deal. Mm-hmm. And then we look at the problems that we're having in certain parts of Chicago. And I just want to let everyone know it's not the entire city, it's only certain parts. Mm-hmm. How are the parallels of what's happening in New Orleans? happening uh in chicago and most certainly what is our cuisine and it's going to lead to a a question i have 
uh, coming down. But I just wanted to, how does, you know, that travel between Chicago, the uh, New Orleans, the struggles that we're having in food, and and where does that tie us uh, at in American cuisine? Well, similar to your family, uh, my family on my dad's side also migrated from New Orleans during the Great Migration to Chicago. And, you know, countless uh, families, you know, from Louisiana and just the South, you know, during the Great Migration who migrated up north. And Chicago was the, uh, you know, black Mecca for many. Uh, you know, they had meat, uh, you know, stock market jobs. I'm not stock market, I'm sorry, stockyard jobs, you know, jobs in the, uh, you know, the Ford automobile plant. So it was a place to, you know, start over and what they thought would be free of the Jim Crow South. However, when they got there, you know, the skills that they, that they once had, you know, are now, um, you know, non-existent, you know, the sense that they were farmers and they, you know, cultivated the land and then they get there and then, you know, they're dependent on a paycheck. So, you know, the food also migrated with them because I remember, you know, eating gumbo as a child. I remember mm-hmm. eating, Most definitely. you know, and I remember reading in your book, you know, about Yakamine and, you know, and and bringing all of these Louisiana cultures and, and, and cuisine to uh, Chicago, you know, and they all, and it also migrated to California because there's there's restaurants in California, Los Angeles, particular, where a lot of Creoles um, move to, you know, that they still, um, you know, Danny Bakewell, who, uh, you know, owned one of the most popular festivals in Los Angeles. He's from New Orleans. He owned WBOK, you know, radio. So there's, you know, this constant migration of black folks moving back and forth. But I think we are the last generation to remember the South of those because we're the second generation removed from the South. So the ones behind us don't have, if you live, if they're living up North, don't have a memory of this, of, of the South because the mamas and the, uh, the parans and all of the, they passed away, you know, that we've lo- almost lost that generation. I mean, there's some that are still around, but we're losing that generation. So this new generation of young people, the, you know, um, generation Z or, uh, you know, they don't have that memory of the South. And so their memory is now their food memory is quite different. And depending on their socioeconomic status, it determines, you know, what access to food they have. So, you know, I'm thinking of some students of mine who are from Chicago, you know, and their memory of food is through a bulletproof window. You know, uh, a corner store, you know, ramen noodles, you know, uh, and they have fond memories of that. And that's dangerous, you know, instead of a home cooked meal like how we grew up with, where, you know, our grandparents from the South grew their own food in the yard, even in Chicago. And, you know, Sunday dinner was you had to be at, uh, you know, your grandmother, your grandfather's house. You know, bulletproof uh, went, I mean, like, you just took me back. It's like that Leon's on uh, 79th and Stony Island yep. where with that barbecue. Uh, I, you know, it was worth standing in line, <laughs> you know, <laughs> shoving, your, shoving your money. You know, you had to fold your uh, dollar bills up a certain way to get yes. it through the keyhole, you Listen. know, and, <laughs> you, know, you know, get it through the keyhole so, so that you could actually pay for it. 
your your barbecue, uh, uh, you know, Harold's chicken was limbs was like barbecue. that. Uh, yep. uh, limbs, uh, also, uh, you know, the Calumet fishery. That I mean, yes. I grew up on that south, that southeast exactly. side. Uh, yes, and, me too. You know, but also, you know, live, you know, in an era where, you know, you you can go freely into other neighborhoods and eat. Uh, yes. You just had to be gone before dark, you know. I mean, that, I mean that was that was. You're not lying. You know that was an implicit rule of yes. of dining at the, at that era. But what I'm really trying to get listeners to understand is that uh, most people would think that because we had a black president, uh, a Chicago native, uh, you know, uh, awesome. And that we are living in 2020, that we've made progress. But it sounds like to me that we've made progress on the surface, Mm -hmm. but because we don't have economic freedom in the sense that we own our homes, own our Mm -hmm. restaurants, own our land anymore, that there Mm -hmm. is a regression happening in black culture that can only be expressed through food. Uh, music. I'll put music in there as well because me, uh, New Orleans music is probably still one of the most popular musics in the world and spawns many generations after that. Absolutely. But, but also, uh, there's an understanding too that Black women culture um, is quite different than it was during that time in which you're speaking, and there's a more powerful nation uh, being built. Uh, because of black woman culture. So on the other side of this break here, I really wanted to explore that and then talk about how we make this one Afro cuisine that you and I have talked about offline mm-hmm. and really how to develop that even further. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes with Zella Palmer. You're listening to Soul by Todd Richards. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. My name is Samantha Garner and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a Cheeselandian because I take cheese seriously just like they do in Wisconsin. Cheeselandia is a community for loud and proud cheese lovers brought to life by Wisconsin Cheese. I know that I can always cook amazing food with their cheese and it's even good enough just to snack on. As a Cheeselandia member, I know there is always a supportive community behind me who always gets as excited as I do about cheese. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. Check us out on Instagram at Cheeselandia. So, Zella, we're back, and we were talking uh, about a lot. You know, Chicago compared to New Orleans, the parallels of your family and my family uh, migrating north, us migrating back south, uh, Lake Charles, Hurricane Laura, Katrina. But one thing that I really want to talk about in New Orleans Uh, And really my point about the power of African-American women in this world and African women in this world in particular. But you look at some place like Leah Chase, you know, with Dookie Mm. Chase, Mm. you know, and, you know, we were all there together, uh, a coalition, you know, through, you know, what you were doing at Dillard University. And we were all there. And I saw some of the most brilliant people uh, that look like me talking about food. And, 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 and I don't want to, to have this sugarcoat 
uh, love fair that we all agreed about everything that we talked about. Mm-hmm. But we did have a common place to go have a discussion mm-hmm. at, 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 at Dookie Chase. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to give you a, a, a forum to, to talk about that meeting that we all had, as well as talk about the role that a matriarch like Leah Chase um, has given us, as well as you becoming a matriarch in, in this business, because I Aww. consider that. And, and, and I will debate anyone uh, who says anything uh, otherwise. Oh, so let's just uh, so let's just talk about that briefly. You know that just that whole you know us coming together down there and being in the presence of of Leah Chase. Well, you know, uh, Dookie Chase Restaurant is you know a staple in uh, New Orleans community, and but you know Americans. Uh, America's community because what she created, you know, and just the experience, the sense of black imagination, um, her spirit, you know, just brought everybody to the table. Uh, I just actually, right before this podcast, I had lunch there. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, it's, uh, and she's a part of the legacy of, you know, so many culinary matriarchs, uh, black New Orleans women who came before her, like Lena Richards, uh, you know, mm. Nellie Murray, you know, um, Rose Nicole, just incredible black culinary matriarchs in New Orleans who built something out of nothing, you know, and, you know, was able to build generational wealth through, you know, and pass it down to her children, grandchildren, now great grandchildren. And, you know, we lost her last year. Uh, you know, it's painful to see her go, but she left such an indelible mark on the city, on, you know, restaurant culture worldwide, you know, and just the blueprint for how you're supposed to be as a human, you know, mm. wow. and, um, you know, and just to see even just going, you know, today uh, to dine uh, for lunch, you know, they're reopening the the dining room uh, area and, you know, tourists are starting, you know, social distancing still. But, you know, her, the grand, you know, her grandson, credible chef, Duke, you know, um, her granddaughters, you know, Eve and uh, Tracy, you know, creating a whole new, not, not a whole new menu, the same, the classics that, you know, are still, are still there and the taste is still there and it's still good, but adding additional, you know, things to the menu, like redfish coubillon, dough glacé, um, you know, just incredible Wait, you classic red, creole. Did you say redfish coubillon? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, yeah. so most people don't know, I, I, I always talk about Atlanta, but I'm actually in Fairhope, uh, Alabama, uh, talking to Zella, and it's like two and a half hours. And I'm like, okay, if I get there, <laughs> if I get there, I'm like, okay, what time? Yeah. So yes. like two and a half hours away. Okay. Red, yes. Oh man, that is so, but uh, oh my goodness, that is, that is fascinating. <laughs> That is yes. fascinating to me. Uh, yes. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I apologize for interrupting you. I, I just that when I hear things like that and I hear that. It's music that, to my ears. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's just so fascinating that not only uh, did she take time to come in and speak to us. And most people would not know that 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 Chef Chase would show up every single day, yes. um, you, know, you know, regardless that this strength of American backbone 
yes has been has been built um on 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 the backs of a lot of unsung people yes. and that her being sung um is is celebrated but she also are giving a platform for other people that look like you and look like me mm-hmm. to express themselves uh you look at Nina Compton who who landed in uh New Orleans you know who's a a beard award winner and i don't know if that would have happened you know you know prior to uh uh you know miss chase being there you know i i don't know if the new orleans was ready ready for that yeah um you know she i mean you know we we knew it you know that she was you know getting in, up in age you know and she held on for so long you know and just even you know and, and what and her husband, you know, and I want to, you know, just make sure that she wasn't, you know, it was, it was a, a family effort, you know, yes, she was the culinary matriarch of New Orleans, the queen of Creole cuisine, but it was her husband there, her nieces, her grandchildren, her great grandchildren. I mean, it was, it's a whole operation, you know? Right. And, um, you know, and it's, it's sometimes, you know, walking into the restaurant now and, walking past the kitchen and not seeing her there in her chair, you know, it's it's sometimes, you know, heartbreaking to see her, but her spirit is still there. I mean, you can, it's, you know, and it's going to last for generations to generation. We have to keep telling stories about her and especially for those of us who knew her so we can keep, you know, her story alive. You know, what I, I also, you know, just want to make sure that people understand is that, that food uh, in New Orleans uh, is more technically driven than people might give it credit for. I mean, everyone wants to celebrate, you know, Chef Chase from the fried chicken and everything like that. But fried chicken is one of the most complicated dishes to cook. If you cook it, you know, (laughs) I mean, if you cook it below 275, it's going to be, you know, raw and soggy. You cook it above 350, it's going to be, uh, crispy but raw in the middle. I, I mean, just, it, it can't just be a mystical thing of some voodoo culture that just magically, <laughs> you know, you know, created this thing. That it was technically sound. Um, the fact that it was served, you know, in many different forms, whether it was plated on a buffet, requires a, a immense amount of detail in understanding how food preparation is done, as mm-hmm. well as. Um, you know, welcoming, uh, you know, having a, a place where the civil rights movement, where MLK and Mega Evers had a place to go as, or welcoming presidents, you know, from Clinton to, to Bush to, to Obama there. Mm. That is something that we have always created in this welcoming table, but most importantly in the technique Mm-hmm. We see the same technique in our research, uh, both collectively and individually, going back to Africa and Afro-cuisines around the world. Absolutely. And I really want to make sure that people understand that Zella and I have worked together off and on uh, in full disclosure about Afro-cuisine. But how is it that we can create a one Afro-cuisine uniting Afro-people around the world in order to have that same generational wealth that, you know, that, that, you know, Chef Chase 
uh, provided for her family, as well as owning our recipes to share for generations to come. Well, it's already happening. You know, uh, when you look at, um, you know, some of the uh, West African chefs, you know, and that are now living in the United States that have reached, you know, uh, came in nearly second and, you know, top chef, uh, Eric, you know, uh, you look at uh, Chef Pierre Chiam from Senegal and, you know, the cookbooks that he's put out, Marcus Samuelson, uh, you know, Serene and Bayou, who's here in New Orleans, who has a pop-up called Dakar Nola, uh, you know, the list goes on of incredible chefs that, you know, are bringing West Africa and Eastern Africa and the diversity of such a large continent to the United States. Because, and then we realize that, you know, Southern food is African food, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the frying of fritters, uh, the, you know, the rice dishes, the stews, the variety, and it's, it's so diverse, you know? And then, you know, as, as there's this bridge back and forth and you see more African-Americans traveling to places like Ghana, Nigeria, um, you know, uh, all throughout. Hopefully Morocco soon. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. And, you know, and Mm -hmm. just traveling, you know, to these spaces. And then you see, uh, you know, a booming restaurant economy there. And, you know, especially specifically in, you know, places like Lagos, Nigeria, uh, you know, that is, has a really strong, uh, food, black, you know, Nigerian foodie community. And it's, it's amazing to see. So the highway, it's, it's open. We just have to jump on it and take the trip, you know, and we can, we have so much in common, you know, we have more that we have in common than we do different. And our stories are very similar, you know, and the same thing in the Caribbean, you know, just looking at chefs like uh, Chef Digby, you know, who uh, is in uh, right. <laughs> doing amazing things. So in all of our, yeah, yeah, in St. Croix, all of our stories, you know, our food is uniquely, um, you know, tells our story of migration, where we've been and the love and, you know, and just legacy that we put into our food. So I, I remember I, I was at uh, the Oak Room uh, restaurant. I ran Triple uh, A Five Diamond and I was serving uh, sea urchin mm. um, in, in 2000. It's probably about 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. It was one of the, you know, one, I believe one of the best dishes we served. Mm. And uh, one of the comments um, was that people were surprised that we were serving sea urchin. That is a Japanese dish n- more <laughs> known for sushi. And uh, then that episode of, uh, you know, Anthony Bourdain and Pierre yeah. was on there. And I saw people out there, you know, in the water yeah. gathering, you know, the sea urchin, uh, yeah. cutting tops on, on charcoal. I was like, this is like, I inherently, you know, instinctively, I knew that I was being justified but, because that is the food that I, I gravitate to. Because, you know, the, the misconception that we, um, you know, <laughs> we, we had, you know, that our food was slave food. It's just the iron, you know, this just it's, it's such a false narrative because why would you bring, you know, 
why would you enslave people who were highly skilled to build your nation and they didn't know how to cook, you know, and they didn't mm. come from uh, centuries of, you know, of diverse cuisines, you know, in the creolization, uh, you know, pro the whole creolization, you know, process did, didn't start in the United States or in South America or the Caribbean. It started in Africa, you know, Correct. they hundreds of years before they actually put us on the ship, they studied us to know what we ate, to know what our culture was. And so then that way that we would be able to survive the middle passage and take with, uh, with them, you know, the seeds to plant in the new world, if they could grow there. Right. So, you know, we come from one of the most diverse and ancient cuisines that has the funk, the savory, <laughs> the sweetness, oh, wow. you know, right. all and of texture. those things. And texture. Yeah, and texture and texture yeah. and, right. you know, an abundance of seafood and abundance of, you know, livestock and, and, you know, proteins, different proteins. And, you know, you know that when you actually get on the plane and you travel and you go to places you know, like Nigeria, like Nigeria, Ghana, um, Senegal, but you, you know, you don't even have to go far. I mean, just, you know, in New York alone, you know what I mean? Right. Or New Orleans. Right. You know? Or New Orleans, you know, and yeah. you taste, you, you know, the diver and the Gullah and Geechee culture, you know, and right. so the narrative that, you know, we were, um, that we just come from slave food or, you know, it's, uh, the, the stereotype of soul food just being fried chicken and, you know, macaroni and cheese is false. We come from a very diverse, um, you know, culinary legacy and culture that we still have yet to really tap into uh, the, the descendants of, you know, enslaved people who need to reclaim that, um, you know, heritage. I, 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 I don't, first of all, physiologically, I don't know how macaroni and cheese is tied to us where most, you know, African Americans are lactose intolerant, but that's a, that's well, probably Sicilians, another, you, you know, know Sicilians another, lived in our communities, you know, yeah. and specifically in like New Orleans, you know, we, Sicilians lived in Treme and, you know, the, Treme is one of the oldest African American communities, but it was also had one of the large, the largest Sicilian population. Um, outside of New York, you know, so with that, when, you know, we were living in the same communities, we were sharing, you know, the same um, food, you know, and Miss Leah would always talk about her Sicilian neighbors back in the day before, um, you know, they, a lot of them moved to the suburbs. Uh, and she would talk about how they would share dishes, you know, and that her neighbor would watch out for her, you know, and, you know, look outside the window and, you know, send her, you know, some, uh, some food for uh, St. Joseph's Day, and they were both Catholic, you know. So, mm. and you know, and, and sometimes people would marry or have relations, and you know, then you have children who are Sicilian and black. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I mean, so. isn't, that, is, isn't that the most interesting thing, though, that the techniques of food, regardless of what culture, uh, it, it, you know, that we don't have a, inherited a lot of pasta in our culture but it's tied to us mm. uh, that that something that is not necessarily ours um and and in other you know communities as well we look at mole uh mole mm -hmm. from you know from that you know it comes out of a a african tradition that is more associated with mexican cuisine than mm -hmm. necessarily our cuisine you know how 
can we, and we've only got a couple of minutes here left, but how can we uh, create a better future of uniting people through delicious food, which has always been the mission, I believe, of what true soul food is? And, you know, it's just, it's just realizing that human beings, you know, have always been human beings. And if we live in the same area, most likely we're also going to pick each other's cultures up. So, you know, you look at contemporary culture, a lot of African-Americans are living right next to Latinos, Latinx, you know, communities. So in, in Chicago, New York, you know, um, and it's been that way for quite some time. And even in, you know, Right here in New Orleans, I mean, in the Delta, Mississippi, you know, those those hot tamales that folks love in the South so much, that was that came from Mexican, you know, migrants who came here, you know, a long time ago. And, you know, they mixed the 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 spiciness and the flavors of, you know, African-American communities with Mexican uh, tradition tamale making, you know, and made it something uniquely um Black and Mexican and Southern, right? So, I mean, it's it's going to continue to happen. I mean, you look at places like Los Angeles and Chicago and, you know, it's Black folks making Puerto Rican and Mexican cuisine, you know, and making it right. their own, right? Um, and the same, you know, you see Asian communities making uh, sometimes, you know, Creole food right here in New Orleans. I mean, you go to Cajun Seafoods on... Uh, on Claiborne Avenue, they're selling gumbo and, you know, all kind of stuff. So, you know, especially when you talk about something about rice culture, you know what you're talking about there. Right. Rice rice culture. culture. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so we have a lot in common. And I think the, you know, the best way to move forward is to acknowledge and give voice to those who we're voiceless and tell these stories, you know, and to understand that nothing is monolithic. You know, uh, mm. we are constantly migrating. We are constantly evolving as people and we're constantly picking up things along the way, you know, um, and our food memories, you know, changes with each generation and depending on our experience, you know, our community and, you know, what is available to us. I can't, you know, thank you enough for, for uh, taking time out. I mean, I know what you're doing uh, both uh, on this podcast and, and how to unite people through food and how to, to really tell the story of Afro uh, cuisine, not only from Chicago, New Orleans, but around the world. Uh, And, you know, being a person from Chicago, as you uh, hearing you talk about this, you know, Latin, uh, Asian soul uh, vibe that really speaks to Chicago. Uh, Mm. It speaks to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. It speaks to the world. And when you have this Mediterranean and and European influence uh, with it as well, that we all have a place at the table. If we sit down and put food in our mouths and which will allow us to listen more than to actually speak Mm. might be the most important thing I hope people take out of this conversation. Uh, where can they find you on social media or on your all your multiple social media <laughs> <laughs> platforms? You know? Well, um, you can uh, find, you know, you can follow us on Instagram at Dillard underscore Ray Charles. And then I also have a blog, uh, com. 
I am so appreciative uh, to you getting on. I'm probably about three hours away. You know, Melissa is here with me. Oh, I told her, love. <laughs> you know, uh, that we were going to try to get over there, and hopefully we do. Um, and if not, uh, I always will see you in the stratosphere on yes. internet and everything else. And uh, everyone knows I'm turning 50 next year, and there's I a know. trip planned. Yes. To Morocco, yes, <laughs> you know, yes, yes, and to celebrate go. 50, you know, <laughs> years of, of being on, on this earth. And I look forward to meeting you and your family and everyone's thank family you. over there as well. And I thank you for the time. Uh, thank you, Zella Palmer, for coming in to Soul by Todd Richards. And as always, eat delicious food. Thank you very much. Soul by Todd Richards is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of Food World's most innovative community? Subscribe to shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.